All right, good morning, good morning. Can y'all hear me okay? People waving in the back, hello my friends. Good to see everybody. <laughs> hey. Oh, this does my heart good. I'm seeing so many familiar faces I haven't seen in a while. So I am excited to be with you here this morning um, as we continue our study of Jesus, one and only. And this past week, you did your study on miracles. Did you enjoy that? Yes, I think uh, that's always uh, something great for us to remind us of everything that Jesus did while he was here uh, in his ministry on earth. Um, so raise your hand for me if you've ever used the expression, that's a miracle. Anybody? Okay. Most hands going up, okay? Maybe it was when your uh, child cleaned the room without you asking, right? Um, maybe it was uh, the rose bush you planted two years ago finally has some flowers on it, right? That's a personal experience, by the way. Um, <laughs> my mom's family, the Bolsters, are known uh, for moving on bolster time. And so we say it's a miracle if any one of them shows up on time to anything, right? <laughs> okay. So I found some other pictures that I felt we all could relate to, potentially. And then it happened. Halfway through your sermon, my insomnia was miraculously <laughs> cured. Now, I hope that doesn't happen this morning, okay? Uh, then this one. I think they call it a miracle drug because it'll be a miracle if I can get this cap off, <laughs> right? Anybody? I pretty much struggle with that at least once a week, right? And then this one, for those who math was maybe not your thing, um, Jesus could probably work this problem. He was good at working miracles, right? <laughs> well, obviously, these situations are uh, really miracles, right? Okay? So they may be something we call out because they don't happen often. <coughs> But miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry were much more significant, right, than being able to open a bottle or solve a math problem. The miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry, they were purposeful, and they were something he used as a tool to further his ministry here on earth. In doing some research, I found there's not really a definition for miracles. But I did find C.S. Lewis actually had a couple, so I pulled one of those. So it's up here for you. C.S. Lewis says miracles are the interference with nature by supernatural power. So keywords there, supernatural power and nature. Now, when he's talking about nature, he's not talking about what we think automatically, like outside nature, right? He is also talking about our nature, okay? Our human nature. So, I want to start out by reviewing the miracles that you studied this week. And we're going to talk a little bit about not just the miracle, but something that happened after that miracle. Okay, so the first one, Jesus turned water into wine, right? His first miracle. Did he want to do it? He didn't, but he did it anyway, right? Okay, it was uh, the beginning of his ministry. And not only did that water turn to wine, something else happened. The disciples believed in Jesus. They saw Jesus perform a miracle for the first time. The second miracle, calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. 
Okay. In essence, Jesus is saving the disciples, right? By calming the water. They were out of their minds, right? The result of this miracle was the disciples asking, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Right? They recognized his power. Five loaves and two fishes. Now in this story, we had the crowd, we had the disciples, we had the little boy with the lunch, right? And yes, he fed 5,000 plus, right? And had leftovers. Um, but what else happened? People saw him do this miraculous thing and exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Recognition. Jesus walked on the water. Result of this miracle, the disciples said, you really are the son of God. And then the final miracle we looked at this week, healing the lepers. And this was our only healing miracle within this study for this week. But you had the lepers, you had the priests, you had the public, you had the disciples. The result of this miracle, the one leper, right, returned because of his faith in Jesus, belief in Jesus. So here are some commonalities for these miracles. First of all, they were purposeful, supernatural acts that affected both earth nature, right, that we talked about, as well as human nature that Jesus performed during his ministry. Two, they were used as a tool for kingdom purpose. Jesus was purposeful, right? And most importantly, they all showed the authority of Jesus as God's son. So we're going to take a closer look at how Jesus used miracles in his ministry on earth. And we're going to look at one of the lesser known miracles okay, that he performed. In fact, it's a little obscure. Um, and maybe because it happened in the midst of some bigger events in Jesus' ministry um, that are a little more well known. So this is the miracle of the withered fig tree, or sometimes it's called the curse of the fig tree. And we find this account in two of the Gospels. So we find it both Matthew and Mark. Now Mark uh, uh, recounts the actual miracle, but then he kind of moves on to other things happening in Jesus' ministry. Matthew actually gives some more details, and he account, recounts a, a conversation that Jesus has following with his disciples. So we're actually going to look at Matthew uh, for this miracle. Now I wanna give you uh, a background of some of the timing for this event. So around the time this happened, Jesus had cleansed the temple of the money changers. Okay, so these crooks had taken over the temple, right? And we're taking advantage of people and basically turned it into a marketplace. Okay, we're gonna talk a little bit about that later. This was also around the time that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, okay? People shouting Hosanna, laying down palm branches. We celebrate Palm Sunday because of that. So these were two significant events in his ministry that happened around the same time as the, the withered fig tree miracle. Um, Jesus knew that his ministry on earth was nearing the end, okay? He knew that. And he only had a matter of days left with his disciples to prepare them for their ministry that would happen once he was gone. So we're going to read Matthew 21, 18 through 22. 
In the morning, as he, referring to Jesus, was refer, uh, returning to the city, he became hungry. I'm going to stop there because it's just comforting to know, isn't it, that Jesus got hungry? <laughs> okay. Just have to say that. That's, that jumps out at me every time. All right. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be thrown up, taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, this isn't the usual miracle we hear attributed to Jesus, is it? In fact, the ones you studied this week had to do more with provision, right? Providing wine and food to people or calming the water or giving health, right, to the lepers. This particular miracle involves Jesus cursing a fig tree, which results in it immediately dying. Okay, at once the fig tree withered. If we just look at this event literally, we could think... This is one of the strangest things Jesus did, right? Um, in fact, it, it's just unusual. So was Jesus acting irrationally due to his hunger pains? Well, of course not, right? He was perfect. We might do that, but not Jesus. Um, he certainly was disappointed there were no figs on the tree. But he doesn't perform this miracle out of mere frustration, uh, nor is he throwing a hunger fit. Jesus did not, nor would he, use his power for this type of action. He did, however, use this action for ministry and training purposes. So the first purpose for Jesus to use miracles in his ministry, including this one, was to show his power and authority. So in this particular miracle, Jesus showed his power and authority over creation, right? The, the fig tree withered. Um, so let's talk a little bit about fig trees because you're kind of going, well, it just didn't have fruit. I mean, why, why would Jesus like be disappointed at that or whatever? Well, typically fig trees in their cycle of growth, right? By the time there were leaves on the tree, you would see, you would have at least a, a, a bud, right? Of a fig. So there should have been something there. Even if it might not be a mature fig, there should have been something. Okay, so seeing the tree with leaves, Jesus naturally expected to find this fruit. But as he inspected it, he discovered no fruit on the tree at all. And because of his authority and power over nature, this fig tree would not be able to produce fruit ever again. Jesus used miracles to show his power and authority. Not only did Jesus use this event to show his power and authority, he also used it to continue teaching the disciples and preparing them for what was to come. Remember, this event happened towards the end of his ministry. He knew he only had a few days to prepare the disciples for his death, his resurrection, and subsequently his return to heaven and their responsibilities that would follow after that. 
after his cursing of the fig tree. This was a symbolic act for what was going to happen actually to Israel and fruit for Israel when Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus taught, right, through symbols. Okay, remember right before this, Jesus had cleansed the temple. Why did he do that? Well, on the outside, the temple looked like what it was, right? It looked like a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of teaching on the outside. But on the inside, the temple had busy religious activity, but no sincerity, no truth, and no production. Just like the fig tree, no fruit was being produced from the temple. In fact, the corruption was so strong that Jesus' reaction was to flip the tables, right? He rebuked the fraud that was taking place in there. Uh, remember, at this time, Jesus knew his time for sacrifice was coming, and he continued to take the opportunity to, to teach and prepare his disciples for the time to come. He had a deadline looming, all right? Anyone here ever had a deadline looming? I have a big one this week. Several of us do, right? <laughs> all right. Well, let me tell you about another time. I was in Bible college, and I took eight hours of Old Testament history, Okay, which um, would have been good, but it was a class that was at seven o'clock in the morning, uh, Tuesday through Friday. And, um, and so um, in that class, we would have these huge tests, like I'm talking 12 to 15 pages long, okay? So, and they would be divided up in different things. Well, we had this one particular test. My sister was in the class with me. One particular test where we had to memorize at least 20 of the Israelite kings. And on the test, we would have to write them in order of when they reigned, right, their rule. And we would have to spell them correctly. <laughs> now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the kings of the Old Testament, but how they sound and their spelling are very similar for many of them. Okay, so I did a slide just, just so you could see. This is just, just a sampling of the, the kings, right? And we had to do 20 of them. All right, so here's our plan. We were gonna divide up and figure out, we're gonna study about five a day, right? Before the test. So we just kind of back up, we're gonna start here, we'll start studying, we'll get them done by that seven o'clock test time on Friday. Well, our plan ended up being after dinner the night before the test. <laughs> True story. True story. We started cramming the kings, all right? Drinking a lot of Mountain Dew to try to stay away. I mean, we were at Bible college, you know, just skipped. So anyway, um, I don't even remember what score we made on the test, um, but I do know that our study habits changed before we had to do the next 20 uh, Israelite kings. All right. Well, okay, this story il illustrates really what Jesus' plan was not, right? Fortunately, Jesus' plan was better than ours. In fact, Jesus' plan was perfect. He knew exactly what his disciples needed to learn to be able to continue his ministry after he was gone. The miracles performed were part of his plan for teaching and preparing the disciples for their ministry. His response to their question, how did the fig tree wither at once, 
gave them knowledge of what was to come. Knowledge they would need when Jesus was no longer with them here on earth. So let's start reading in verse 21. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now we talked about Jesus using his miracles to teach symbolic things, right? Well, he also would use the landscape around him, right, to teach. And so in this case, they could actually see the Mount of Olives. So when he's referring to, you can say to this mountain, that's what he's referring to. And of course, the Dead Sea was part of that landscape also. So using this as an example, his answer explained that no task that is within God's will is impossible to do for those that have faith. Now we have the benefit of having the Bible, all right? We can read about these miracles and even know what was coming for Jesus and for the disciples. The disciples didn't have that full information. So Jesus was teaching them as much as he could reveal to prepare them for the time that he was no longer on earth with them. Jesus knew that the power of faith and prayer would be so important for his disciples to continue their ministry after he left the earth. In fact, several days later, Jesus speaks to this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We'll start with verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You see, the disciples were watching these miracles, right? And they were looking for the power to work these miracles, like cursing the fig tree. Jesus was preparing them, though, for something so much greater. A greater mission. The mission of new life. Faith in Jesus. If you don't have that faith in Jesus, you don't have that life. Only having faith in God gives life. Jesus also talks about prayer in this passage. Last week, Stacy taught us about prayer using the Lord's Prayer. In this passage, Jesus emphasizes the importance of prayer in relation to our faith. Again, preparing the disciples, right? To be able to do what they needed to do on the day that he wouldn't be with them in person. In just a few, excuse me, in just a few short days, he would be crucified on the cross. He would rise three days after that. And then shortly after that, he would go to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, a position of power and authority. But the disciples wouldn't have Jesus there in human form to talk to or to learn from. Yes, the Holy Spirit would come as a helper, right, to give them that power to minister and perform miracles in Jesus' name. But prayer would become their method of communication with God through Jesus after that time. 
Remember in verse 22 of our first passage, Jesus said, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And then in our passage from John, he said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These verses give us some specific uh, components of prayer that are very important concerning communication with God through Jesus. First one is to have faith. Have faith in Jesus. Honestly, if you don't have faith in Jesus, you're not going to be able to do the other two, right? That is important. And then when you pray, ask in Jesus' name. That's showing you recognize his power and authority and his position. And then ask so the Father may be glorified. That's our motive. That's the power for performing miracles too, right? Having faith, asking in prayer in Jesus' name so it may glorify God through Jesus. So, what does this mean for us today? Um, let's talk to it, and I'm, I'm going I'm to refer to it as the rest of the story. So I even made a slide particularly for that. The rest of the story, okay? The rest of the story is you, okay? You are the rest of the story. You and you and you, all of us. We are the rest of the story. Unlike the story of the fig tree that had its life ended in a matter of seconds, the story that we are a part of didn't end. Not when Jesus died on the cross or when he ascended to heaven. The story didn't end when the disciples' lives were over. The story has continued and we are a part of that story. As a part of this story, we each have a choice to make about how we're gonna play our part in that story. Will we be like the fig tree, looking great on the outside, playing the part of following Christ, checking the boxes of a life lived for Jesus, but never truly accepting the gift of faith that he's offered to us? Maybe you've accepted the faith, but you don't act on that faith when you communicate with God through prayer, asking in Jesus' name and praying that the Father may be glorified. This week we studied miracles that Jesus performed during his ministry on earth, but one of the greatest miracles that happens today is the one that happens to each of us when we accept Jesus as our Savior. When we acknowledge him for who he is and accept the faith that he offers, this results in us bearing the fruit that comes from that relationship. When we recognize the authority of Jesus, and allow him to prepare us and teach us, just like he did with the disciples, then we are a part of the miracle of transformation. I don't know where you are in your faith. Maybe your life has been a, a journey of faith and you continue to bear the fruit of faith, glorifying God. I encourage you to continue that relationship. Maybe once you had faith, showing a life-bearing fruit, praying for your life to glorify God, but you find yourself in a place of barrenness, looking good on the outside, but the fruit's not there. 
I encourage you not to give up. I encourage you to seek God in faith. He will meet you where you are. Maybe you've never experienced the faith we talked about. I want you to know that you have a Savior in Jesus that will love nothing more than to show you his love and walk with you, teaching and preparing you for your part of the plan. I'm going to end with a definition of miracle that I actually wrote myself based on our scripture today. I wrote it in first person because I wanted it to be personal. And I encourage you to do the same if you want to have that uh, definition for yourself. Let me share this with you. Miracles. The supernatural transformation of my nature through faith in Jesus' power and authority for the purpose of teaching and preparing me to live my life giving glory to God the Father. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we're here because we want to know you better. Lord, we pray that you will honor that, that you will meet us where we are, each of us, individually. And Lord, that you will show us not only your power and authority, but also teach us and prepare us for the plan that you have laid out for us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.